Well, only 364 more days, right? You're very good at shopping, get things together. If any of you uh, are friends with my wife, Leslie, on uh, social media, either Instagram or Facebook, you're familiar with the fact that she seems to be obsessed with Christmas, and throughout the entire year, there's this constant countdown that she has, especially on the 25th of each month. She tells you how many months are left, how many days are left. Um, she does that in other times and different occasions throughout the year. Um, and some of us are familiar with seeing those things on social media. Sometimes it's just a traditional, you know, a Santa Claus that just says, uh, uh, you know, th- something like 364 days until Christmas. Sometimes it's a character like, a, like Elf, Will, Will Ferrell's Elf, that's become so popular in the last 20 years, counting down for us. Or, or um, maybe even it's uh, Hallmark, and you follow the Hallmark movies and the Christmas countdown and all that, like my brother does, and uh, you enjoy Hallmark movies, Christmas movies. They've got their countdown that's posted regularly. My favorite one that I've come across uh, in the last few days is there are 364 days until Christmas, and people already have their Christmas lights up. Unbelievable. (laughs) Well, how do we live the other 364 days of the year? For many of us, we've come off a time of great celebration, Christmas Eve here in this very room, worshiping together, and then we've spent time with family and friends, and so Christmas is just this this pinnacle where we get to think about others, think about the Lord, think about the wonder of Christ's birth, the beauty of God's gift to us in his son, but how do we live the other 364 days? Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, if you want to open your Bibles or go there on a Bible app or mobile device. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 23. You see, we live out the reality of what Christmas is all about each day of our lives. That's how we live the next 364 days of the year. We live out the reality of what Christmas is about, the message of the good news, the message of Christ. We live it out as a part of who we are. Not just to live from one pinnacle to the next in our spiritual journey or in our celebrations of who Christ is, but embodying and making everything about Christ and what the Christmas message is true of our everyday lives. Last week, we looked at the story of the Magi or the wise men from the East coming and worshiping the child who probably was between a year to maybe up to two years of age at the time when the Wise men came. Remember Herod, the king of the Jews, who really was threatened by news that a newborn king may be born in Israel. He, he tells the wise men, go, and when you find the Christ child, come back so I can come and worship him too. But these wise men, probably from the region of Persia, have traveled afar, and uh, they give their gifts to the newborn king. They worship. And then we saw in verse 12 of Matthew 2 that an angel in a dream warned them not to return to Herod, but to go back to where they're from, a different route. And so they obey God, and they do that. In Matthew 2, we pick up in verse 13 this portion of the story. Now, you would think that after this birth in a stable, maybe things would really start to get better. After all, Mary and Joseph have the Christ child, so everything's going to be perfect, and life is going to be great, and he's just going to be welcomed and celebrated, and they don't know all that's to unfold. And things kind of take a dark turn very quickly after the birth of Jesus, Verse 13 of Matthew 2, we read, When they had gone, the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is one of the prophecies of the first coming of Christ, the Messiah, that is given by the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament. And in this passage, we see there are a number of fulfillments of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah. And here's one of those, that he would be called out of Egypt. He would come out of Egypt. Well, he goes to Egypt because of the threat King Herod has placed on his life. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. I love that phrase. If you know anything about King Herod, he was a ruthless, paranoid person, killed his own family members, If you've traveled to the Holy Land, you can see the incredible things he built. You can see just how uh, full of himself he was. You can see how fearful he was that someone else was going to somehow take his throne. That's why he's threatened by this child. But the Magi follow the instruction of God through the angel in the dream, and they go a different route. And now Herod is frustrated. He was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Why does he do that? In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So he had asked them when they first saw the star in the first 12 verses here of chapter two. And so now he's trying to kill every boy. He's so paranoid and so upset that he can't find this child that they've come to see, this Christ child, this Messiah, the King of the Jews, that he's killing all the babies. Can you imagine the the weeping? Can you imagine the horror this brought about in the area around Bethlehem, verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. There's pain that comes. In the midst of this great news that this child has been born, there still is conflict and heartache and brokenness and pain and evil in the world. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, another dream tells him, okay, don't go back to the region of Judea because the son of Herod that reigns over that area is, he was not only evil and terrible, but he was a very ineffective ruler. But in the region of Galilee, a different son of Herod's reigned at the time, and he goes back to, uh, Joseph and Mary go back to their home area. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene, that he'd be born in Nazareth. This story is one that's often dropped off, the nativity story. We miss this part of the story where there's a threat against the child's life. Can you imagine this journey that Mary and Joseph have been on? They're shocked to hear that Mary, who is a virgin, is going to have a child. People are questioning their integrity. Even Joseph struggled with this story about an angel telling Mary she was going to have a baby and he would be the Messiah, the Savior of his people. And then they go through that, and then they go to the census in Bethlehem. There's no place to stay. The child is born. Some shepherds show up. Then these wise men sometime later show up, and there, there are a lot of events they've gone through. This has been a, a huge calling on their lives. And now as they have this baby, there's a threat against his life. They have to go to a foreign land in exile to try to survive. 
And then they return and there are still threats to his life and they have to be very specific as to where they return. See, how do we live the other 364 days of the year? We live out the reality of what Christmas is all about each day of our lives. What does that mean? I'm gonna make a few observations from this story about the angel telling them to go to Egypt, then to return and even to go to Galilee. There are some observations I think that will help us in these next 364 days understand how we live in this world. And it's, it's really at the core of what the Christmas message is all about. The first thing is this. Since the world is broken, our lives will be constantly challenged. You would think, okay, the baby had this rough birth in a stable. This mother had to go through all that. They've gone through all the question marks over, uh, over their lives. And, and they've gone through so much. And now... The baby is threatened by the Jewish king and they have to flee. We live in a world that is broken. Ever since humanity sinned against God, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God said death would be the punishment, the curse, and there'd be this curse that would affect their lives, but it would also affect how the universe and how the world operated. There would be natural disasters. There would be disease. There would be, there would be all kinds of, of stuff that would be related to the curse to remind us that we fall short of who God is, that we are sinners before a holy God, and that there is a need that we have in this universe for redemption. Romans 8, 22 to 25 tells us that everything around us, the trees, the, the animals, the birds, the fish, the rocks, the mountains, the stars, the planets, the universe, it's all groaning. It was originally designed and God looked at it and it was good, but when sin entered in, it was marred and it functions under this curse. But all of creation knows there's a day coming when Jesus will return and establish his eternal kingdom. And when he does, he's gonna make all things new. Everything will be made right and restored to what it was to be in the original creation. Every tear will be wiped away. No more disease, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. But we're not just the ones who know that. The whole universe is groaning. Romans 8, 22 to 25 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. We are positionally, those of us who know Christ, are positionally saved and right with God and have an eternal home with him. We can walk with him now. But there is a final redemption when we experience our final and complete redemption. It's coming when all things are made new. For in this hope we were saved, but, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're a part of the groaning. As your body ages, as you know, we need glasses and we gotta go to the dentist and we gotta deal with the, the groaning and the aching of this world and those are just the minor things. We live in a world that is aching and so there are natural disasters. Then we live among people who are broken and many of them are selfish and they're captured by greed and lust and pride and, and so the people around us, even the people we love can hurt us. We make mistakes, we sin and so we can cause chaos in our own lives and chaos for others. We live in a world that is broken and is groaning. Since the world is broken, our lives will be constantly challenged. I don't know what you faced in, in the lead up to this Christmas celebration yesterday. I don't know what went on the 364 days 
previous to that for you? For some of you, you, you got a diagnosis, or someone you love got a diagnosis, you just didn't know how to process. For some of you, there, there was something going on in your marriage. Maybe the word divorce came up for the first time. Others of you, it may have been a job-related thing. Somebody may have lost a, a dear loved one. We know that the, the world is groaning and that there are challenges. And after we come off the great Christmas celebration, we need to realize we still live in a world that is groaning. Because of tough circumstances, the circumstances of the baby's birth were pretty tough. A stable in a crowded, overbooked Bethlehem with the Romans running things, shepherds showing up. Where, where, where are the kings? Where's Herod? Where's the emperor? It, it, there are tough circumstances we will face in the next 364 days. But it's also because of difficult people. Herod was a very difficult person. God knew he had to protect that child. We live in a broken, groaning world. And you say, boy, this was a real killjoy. It was already the day after Christmas, and now what are you talking about? It's important for us to enter into the reality of what life truly is, not what we think it should be or we hope it will be, but what it is. Soren Kierkegaard, the great philosopher and theologian, said, life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. If you try to experience that reality on your own or you try to cover it with just Christian platitudes rather than lean into your walk with God and God's family so you don't have to do that alone so that you can be a part of this challenging world but you can have hope and peace and joy because you walk with God, you walk with God's people into the difficult ups and downs, the highs and the lows that will come. One of the phrases I've said to my kids as they've been growing up is, Face reality. Face reality and adjust your attitude. So, you know, if they skinned their knee or they had some friend that hurt them in some way, I would talk them through it and I'd say, you know what we got to do here? What's the reality? The reality is she said it. He did it. This happened. Now, what are you going to do with your attitude? You, you choose your attitude in response. It's so true that a part of what we need to do is we walk with the Lord and we ask the Spirit of God to walk with us through those difficult circumstances is to whisper into our hearts that we still have Christ, we have him, that nothing can be, that can never be taken away from us. And so there is this deep peace we have no matter what goes on in the challenging circumstances or with the difficult people of life's experiences. My kids have joked with me that they'll probably put that little phrase on my tombstone, something like he finally faced his reality and he's adjusting his attitude. But we have to be willing. We, we, the, the world has seen Christians who've carried Christian platitudes and fake smiles and said, oh, we've got such great faith, this doesn't hurt. We don't even notice it. But what they need to see is that, yes, it hurts us. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is sorrow. But we have hope and peace and joy that undergirds that because we have Jesus. Part of the Christmas story is the world is broken and needs a Savior. We will face constant challenges in the 364 days ahead. But there's great news. You see, since the Lord is sovereign, secondly, since the Lord is sovereign, our hope must rest in him. God is sovereign. He is in control. This world is not careening out of control. He is working his eternal purposes and plans. 
And sometimes he uses great things and we say, yeah, that looks like God's at work. Then he uses things that we go, really, God, that's how you're doing this? Really, this is where it has to go? But God is sovereign. He is in control and he is weaving his eternal purposes. I meet people who will panic. They'll say, you know, look what's happening in the world. The end times must be coming. We got to slow this down and stop this. Or, and I think if it's true they're coming, what are you doing? God's the one who says it's going to be this way. What are we to do in the midst of this? We're to find our hope in our God, to trust in him. We can trust what he does. Mary and Joseph had seen God provide for them throughout this whole lead up to the birth of the child. Then the very night of the birth, when they're in a stable and the baby's placed in a feeding trough and shepherds show up, they saw God provide. Then when these, these dignitaries, these wise men from the east show up, months, perhaps a year or more later, they, they, they see what God is doing. And when you look back and you see God's faithfulness in your life, you can trust him to be faithful as you move forward. We can trust what he does. Secondly, we can trust what he says. We can trust what he says. I love, if you look at verse 13, the angel in the dream says to Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. Look at his response. Here comes the word of God to him. What does he respond? So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Then you look, when they're in Egypt, and now it's time and it's okay to go home, the message comes in verse 20, the angel again in a dream, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So what's his response to the word of God? So he got up, took the child and his mother. We need to not only trust in what God is doing, but we, not, we need to trust in what God says. I love Joseph's immediate response to the word of God coming to him. And I, I, I know it's important for us as God's children to understand this point. I, I meet people regularly who say to me, Pastor, you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation or that situation or this situation. I, I don't know what God's saying to me. How can I know what God is saying? And then I begin to ask, you know, well, have you been opening God's word on a regular basis? Oh, no, no, but help me know what he's saying here. There's a principle in the Christian life is when, when we get into God's word and we see what God's word says and, and we begin to walk according to that which God has revealed in his word to us and how we're to live as followers of Christ. When we live according to the known word of God, it will make the unknown areas of our lives clearer for us and the spirit of God will be able to speak to us because we've already tuned our ear to what God has to say in his word. Now we'll begin to understand in some of the areas of our lives that are not specifically spelled out in God's word how to make decisions and what direction to head because we're in tune with God and the spirit of God then can guide us as he needs to guide us. But if you say, I'm just gonna ignore the scriptures, I'm gonna ignore this, this incredible communication from God and try to do it on my own and then I'm gonna hope he's going to tell me what I'm doing over here, even when I'm not living according to this, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Our hope is, that is in our God and who he is. He's in control. He's told us in his word how he thinks we should live in this broken world. We need to heed that. We need to obey that. We need to do what Joseph did. When the word of God is clear and comes to us, we need to obey. We need to respond. One of the great things in the scripture, Jesus himself even said, Jesus' own words that are part of the word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you're here and you've been wrestling with who Jesus is or the claims he makes about himself or the claims he makes on your life, can I just challenge you to hear the words of Jesus and trust, rest in the words of Jesus that he is the way to the Father and rest in him and what he did on the cross for you, what he did in conquering the grave, the curse, and hell itself for you. Trust in Jesus. We can have a conversation with you here today on campus. You can speak to one of us, speak to me at the, uh, on the patio or our care team down front or a Christian friend who's coming with you, but you can also text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. If you're worshiping with us at home or you're in the room, you can just text that name to that number, just the name Jesus to that number, and we'll come alongside you and help you know what it means as you walk into these next 364 days to know Jesus as your Savior and then to begin to walk with him and live for him. Since the Lord is sovereign, our hope must rest in him. We can trust what he does. We can trust what he says. Romans 15, 13 is one of my favorite verses on hope in all of scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Do you notice the link of our joy, our peace, our hope? It comes from our God, and we trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we rest in him and who he is and what he does and what he says, and we put our hope in the God of hope, then our hope builds and builds to the point it overflows. And when it overflows, the people around us are going, wait a minute, you're dealing with cancer, you're dealing with that family crisis, you're dealing with that financial need, you're dealing with some of the same stuff I'm dealing with, but you have hope in the midst of this. How do you have hope in the midst of this? The answer is Jesus, the God of hope. And the next 364 days in this broken, groaning world, the the followers of Jesus need to rest their hope, our hope, in our sovereign God. And he will give us joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will take that hope as it overflows from your life, it'll impact others and point them to the one who is the only hope. You say, but we gotta deal with the realities of this world and this life, yeah. Timothy Keller, the author and pastor of, author of a number of books and pastor for a number of years, says, there is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. That makes sense. Even to the average human being, that makes sense. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. Praise God, we have a raised living hope in Jesus. And we can rest our hope in him. Yes, the world is groaning, but our God is still sovereign and we need to trust him as our living hope. Thirdly, since the solution is Jesus, our mission in life is clear. The solution is Jesus. There are a lot of voices in the Christian world who say that the solution is educational, it's social, it's political. They'll come up with all kinds of ideas of how we can shape our community, shape our nation, shape our world, and and we'll deal with these problems. We'll, We'll take them head on and we'll use all these other means. At the heart of every human problem, there is a spiritual problem. It's sin. And the scriptures say everything links back to lust, pride, 
and greed. And the only solution for the sin sickness that soaks humanity is our Savior Jesus. He's the only solution. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. He is the solution. So then our mission is pretty clear without even hearing from Jesus. It makes sense then that we gotta make Jesus known. We've gotta lift him up. We gotta share the good news of Jesus in these next 364 days. Jesus gave some final words before he ascended to the Father after he had been crucified and raised. He was gathered with his disciples and he was saying this to them. He was saying it to every follower of Christ, not just to those who were called to a vocational ministry, but every follower of Jesus. He gave us what is called the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, he says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 from the New Living Translation, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter how tough your circumstances get, how difficult the people get in your life, no matter what mistakes you make or what sins you commit, if you know Jesus, he is with you and he will never leave you. He will be with you to the end of this age until he establishes the new heavens and the new earth, until you are with him when every Tear is wiped away, no more disease, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. But what do we do now with Jesus with us? We need to take the solution of Jesus and tell people about him, share the good news. Yes, humanity is marred and broken in sin. Yes, every human being is a sinner and cannot save themselves. But the good news is Jesus came to provide salvation as a free gift to every human being who would receive it. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that we'd be forgiven and have life eternal. That good news needs to come from the followers of Christ. In the midst of this broken world, we should share that hope with others. Chuck Swindoll says, whatever we do, we must not treat the Great Commission like it is the Great Suggestion. These are our marching orders from our God. It ought to flow out of our lives as we overflow with hope that we know that our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our coworkers who don't know Christ need Christ. He is the solution. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus. As part of that mission, then we gotta guard the gospel. Gotta guard the gospel, that good news. That yes, every human being's a sinner, but Jesus came to be their savior and everyone can be forgiven of their sins through the finished work of Christ. They can find hope and joy and peace in the midst of the most challenging circumstances and the most difficult people. We need to guard that gospel. We can disagree on a lot of things. We can confuse a lot of things in the fringes of, of what we understand together. But we've got to be clear on the good news of Jesus. We've got to guard that gospel, the precious, precious message of who Jesus is. In the next 364 days, all of us in our lives need to guard the gospel. But secondly, we need to embody the gospel. We need to embody the gospel. Yes, Jesus has saved me from my sins. Since the day I put my faith in Christ, I have been saved. And there is nothing that can take that away from me. 
And as I walk with him, God is molding me and shaping me. His spirit is shaping me from the inside out to make me more like Jesus so that more and more my life is changed by that gospel that saved me. It now changes me. The goodness of God changes me. And I'm being changed in my attitude, my thoughts, my behaviors, my relationships. It impacts every aspect of my life. And in the next 364 days, I need to daily become more like Jesus so that by next Christmas, I reflect Jesus and embody the good news of Christ, the gospel, even more. We all need that as we walk with him. It's not just something we say or guard. It's not just a theological idea or a philosophical premise. We're talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ and the good news that he embodies. We then need to embody as we live in love like Jesus in this world. And then we gotta share the gospel. We guard it, we embody it, then we've gotta share it. I've had people say, oh, I don't tell anybody any words of scripture or the gospel. I never say anything to anyone because I just want them to see it in me. They gotta hear that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish and face eternal judgment, but will have eternal life. They have to hear that at some point. It's great if they see the hope and joy of Jesus in you. And then when they begin to ask, why are you able to go through some of the tough stuff of life that I'm going through and deal with some very difficult people, and yet you have hope and joy and peace, then we say, it's Jesus. And let me tell you how you can know him. You need a savior. I needed a savior. We couldn't save ourselves. Jesus came to save us. Put your faith in him. You say, well, that's your job here on Sundays. I do it as much as I can and as best I know how, but it's all of us. Going from Christmas to the next Christmas, we bear witness to the one who came in Bethlehem. We're all to be ambassadors for Christ, missionaries for Christ, embodying the message of Christmas and what it's all about so others can come to Jesus too. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Kind of like that. Because if you know the hope of Christ and that hope is overflowing in your life, it's gonna point other people to Jesus and they'll watch the trajectory of your life. It doesn't mean, by the way, you have to be perfect. You're going you're gonna to still stumble in sin, and God's going to forgive you, and he's going to help you overcome that sin. You move forward. But it's the people around you, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. They're looking at your life, and they're connecting the dots. Wow, his attitude has changed over the last several months, over the last several years. I see a different person emerging. Boy, her, her behavior is so different. His words have really changed how she carries herself is so different than it once was. What's happening? It's Jesus. And we say to those individuals, follow me as I follow Christ. We say to our brothers and sisters in Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. We're to guard, embody, and share the gospel. We come off of a great Christmas day. Joseph and Mary had, had a wonderful visit from the wise men from the east, bringing these incredible gifts, gifts which probably funded their trip to Egypt provided by God. And they immediately are warned. The child is threatened. You gotta go to a foreign land and figure it out. Wait there and I'll bring you back. They understood that the world is full of constant challenges. It's broken and our lives and the lives of others are broken. And one day Jesus will make it all right. And in the meantime, we rest in our hope in the sovereign God 
We rest our hope completely in him. And then we understand that we've got the solution. It's Jesus. And our mission then becomes crystal clear. It's to make him known to everyone in our lives, everyone who crosses our paths. We have the opportunity to share the incredible hope of Christ. Yes, somewhere in the next 364 days, you're probably going to face something you never thought you'd face. There's going to be a turn or a twist. It's going to be true in my life. Got to face reality and then adjust your attitude. What we say is, okay, how do I face this holding on to the hand of God? How do I face this with the hope of Jesus? How do I trust in the sovereign God who is in control and is working his eternal plan? And then how do I share that solution with other people who are going through the ups and downs of life just like I am? On December 10th, Folks in states like Kentucky that were impacted by tornadoes could have never dreamed last Christmas that for some of them their whole towns would be wiped out by a tornado in those 364 days from the Christmas of 2020 to the Christmas of 2021. We've all had our eyes on COVID and political conflicts and all that kind of stuff. But then just in this broken, groaning world and part of the curse over this creation that will be resolved one day ultimately when Jesus makes all things new are natural disasters and tornadoes. A little town of Mayfield, Kentucky, like many little towns, were pretty much wiped off the map on December 10th by these tornadoes and their destruction. I want to show you a video of drone footage of the town of Mayfield as presented by the Lexington Herald-Leader in this little video, you'll see the destruction of this town. And as you see it, I want you to realize the world is groaning. There will be challenges we don't know are coming. And then be reminded that our hope is in our God. And we get to take the solution of this good news to other people. But look at what these folks faced in the constant challenge of life and how devastating it was in this one community just a couple of weeks ago. They had no idea that challenge was coming in Christmas of 2020. Maybe you say, well, I didn't experience a tornado in this last year, but boy, I experienced this or I experienced that. The images that you just showed just sort of represented something that went on in my life. 
You know, there will be challenges like that in the year to come. That's very sobering footage. I saw that maybe a, a week to 10 days ago. And then on Friday, I heard some good news out of Mayfield, Kentucky. You see, in the midst of that rubble, two congregations who lost their buildings completely to the tornado gathered in a little lot. And this is an aerial view of their gathering It was the Christian Church of Mayfield and the Presbyterian Church of Mayfield. They came together to have a Christmas Eve service together in just an open lot. And they gathered together to worship and to be there for each other, to be there in prayer and consoling and encouraging each other. They focused that night on what had happened, but then... They talked about the hope found in Jesus. And just like we did in our services this last Friday on Christmas Eve, those two congregations together in that open lot there amidst the devastation and rubble caused by the tornado, they decided to conclude their service by singing Silent Night while holding candles and phones. And so they did that together. And as they did, one of the pastors concluded the service with these words, look around tonight. We are the church, not our buildings. We get to take the hope, love, and light of Jesus to Mayfield and the world. I love that perspective. He understood that in the midst of the rubble they were standing in, that what Christmas represented was hope for every human being. And we who know Jesus get to receive that hope, let it process in our lives and the challenges we face, trusting him as the sovereign God and hoping in, in him. But then we get to take that solution as part of our mission to make sure others know that message of Christmas, that Jesus is the Savior. He wants to meet you where you are, save you from your sin, and walk with you through life. What an opportunity we have from Westlake Village in the next 364 days to the world to take the light, the love, and the hope of Christ. Only 364 days till Christmas. What are we going to do? Let's embody what Christmas is all about to a world that is lost and hungry and needy, needing to know the hope that's only found in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the words of that pastor. So simple, but in the setting in which they were said, after such tragedy and devastation, to be able to say that they were the church, not the buildings, to have that reminder so abruptly in their lives, so clearly, and then to say that they're not only going to take the light to their friends and neighbors and family in Mayfield, but say they're going to take the light and the hope and the love of Jesus to Mayfield and the world. May that be the spirit of our lives and of our homes, that we would take that hope into a world that's groaning, that one day will be made right. But right now, you want to bring the hope and peace and joy of what Christmas is all about into the life of people in our lives through us. May we embody, may we live out what Christmas is all about even in the challenges of this life. May people see Christ in us. Help us to live and love like Jesus more in the days ahead. 
that Jesus might be seen in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.